Well, it's been good to sing together with you and uh, to worship together with you. And so today uh, we're continuing the series. We have a few more weeks left in this series called Healthy. And we have looked at healthy siblings, healthy um, grandparents, friends, and families. And today I want to talk on a topic that um, I think is common to all of us, and that is um, habits. And we want to talk today about having healthy habits. And whether you have uh, bad habits or good habits, every single person in the room has some habits. And many of your habits that you have, uh, you have already used today. Um, you may have a habit of how you brush your teeth or how you, how you, uh, you know, drive or whatever it might be, um, but we all have habits in our lives. You may have heard of this term, spiritual disciplines, and habits are part of spiritual disciplines, but they're only a part of it. Uh, spiritual dif- disciplines are when we are very intentional about putting ourselves or placing ourselves before God. And so you may, uh, spiritual discipline may include something like meditating, or it may include something like solitude, it may include, you know, a season of intense scripture memorization, or, or whatever it might be. And these are, these are things that we do very intentionally in order to place ourselves before God, and for God to do a work in us. Habits are those things, though, that we do regularly, and we do them without much thought, Uh, One definition of habits is this, actions that are ingrained, that have become natural because of continued repetition. But notice the next part. They are things we do without thinking, so they're not a lot of thought goes into them, but at the same time are accomplished with skill and precision. So habits, healthy habits, are not just things that we do regularly and they don't have any positive or beneficial results in our lives. And so the topic of habits is a very complicated one. Um, There's multiple books on it, and it's a very difficult and complicated topic to understand, but I think habits is something that many of us are unaware of. We may find ourselves at times with habits that we don't even know we have. Um, If you married, then probably your spouse has exposed a habit that you have that they didn't like or that you you weren't even aware of. I remember when I um, got married to my wife, uh, I'll never forget, and we weren't even married the first time she came to our family gathering, or just to our own Unger family, and there's uh, six siblings and, and two parents, and every single one of us talks at the same time, and at the same time we're able to listen to everyone talk, and she just kind of sat there, what in the world? And so I remember one time very lovingly she told me, you know, Ike, it is not It is rude, actually, to speak over people and not let people finish their thoughts and finish saying what they want to say. Well, I was in the habit of the minute I heard something that I'm like, hey, I got a thought on that. I jumped in and then my family, well, the other person would just keep talking and we would just make a lot of noise. And in my household, if you were going to wait for seven people to finish what they were going to say, you would never get a word in. And so I developed this horrible habit of just interrupting. And I, man, I did that with Maria. Now her family, they almost had like a my turn to talk stick, you know, but whatever, you know, families are different. But, uh, you know, they would gently listen. And then when someone was finished speaking, there'd almost be this, hmm, that's an interest. Let me think about that for a moment. 
Well, in my house, it's like about 50 thoughts have started when you said, well, I, and then I had also, and we just went. But anyway, habits. Some of you here are maybe very unaware of some of the habits that you have. And so this is an incredible study, and I want to take a moment and offer you two books. It won't take time to unpack them. The first book is called The Power of Habits, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business um, by Charles Duhigg. And this is an incredible, if you like reading, buy this book and read this book. I'll, I'll just briefly summarize this book. In this book, the, we are introduced to a man named uh, Eugene Pauly. And Eugene had a brain infection, and that left him, uh, he started losing his memory, but ultimately left him in a coma, and he came out of the coma, and they were able to, to deal with the infection in his brain, and, and he fully recovered the, um, in the, I mean, the infection went away fully, but he was never quite the same. Most of his motor skills came back, but his memory was almost completely gone. And so what they noticed with Eugene is that there were certain things that he was able to do. For example, if you were in his house and you would have asked him, Eugene, where is your bathroom? He could have never drawn you up a, a layout of his house. But in the middle of the conversation, he would get up, he would go to the bathroom, he would use the bathroom, he would flush the toilet, he would wash his hands, he would dry his hands, and he would come and sit down again. And if at that very moment you would have said, Eugene, where is your washroom? He would not have been able to tell you. So they were extremely concerned also about him getting lost outside. And so they constantly followed him. Well, one day he, he was able to sneak away, or he did sneak away, but he was able to find his way home. He was able to make bacon and eggs. And what they discovered with Eugene is that these were habits that he had done so many times that even though cognitively he wasn't able to tell you how to do these things, the power of habits was there. That in the middle of having no memory, he was able to do these things. That's just one book. The second book I would highly recommend, especially if you're a business person, is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by uh, Stephen Covey. This is a well-known book. So I'll just quickly read you the seven habits that he talks about. The first one is be proactive. This is kind of at the heart of this book. You know, you need to be proactive. Don't just be a reactive person. You need to be proactive in the things you do. Begin with the end in mind. Second one, put things first. Put first things first. Take win, think win-win. Seek to understand first before making yourself understood. That's a powerful one. Learn to synergize. And then lastly, sharpen the saw. And so you can see very quickly, while we're not going to unpack each of these, or any of these, you can see very quickly how applying those into your life, how important they are and the impact that they would have. There's a man by the name of Mike Mazzalongo. Sorry, Mike, if I butchered that. But he's taken Stephen's uh, idea of seven habits, and he's written on them from a Christian perspective. So we want to look today at seven healthy habits, and I'll be gleaning um, some of my material here today from, from Mike. And as I said, many of us as Christians, we are unaware of the things that we do over and over. Uh, we may just do them uh, without really thinking about them, and they could again be negative or positive. And if we're unaware of negative habits that we have, then we're probably also not focusing on developing healthy habits. We need to have habits in our lives that, that bring us, that are repetitious, they bring us into the presence of God, and that they help assist us in our relationship with Jesus. Now, none of us are going to be able to master all seven of these. We're not going to be perfect in, in, in all of them. 
but they give us something to aim towards. These habits work for every single one of us, regardless of where you are spiritually, regardless of your spiritual maturity today. Every single one of these habits work for every one of us here today. So as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we want to do more than be Christians or or Jesus followers by title or name alone. We talked about this already in our mission statement and when we introduced our mission statement. It's so important that we don't have a relationship with Jesus that's just about being called a Jesus follower. That it's actually a part of who we are. It's what we do every single day. In order to fulfill our mission, in order to truly be a Jesus follower, we need to also consider, are we effective in how we follow Jesus? Meaning, are we producing fruit in our personal lives and also in our ministries? Now, the Bible doesn't really speak about the topic of habits habits specifically. But the emphasis is there. And the, and the theme of habits is there constantly. There are many times where the Bible talks about doing something over and over or doing something often. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and on. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. There's the, there's the command. This is what we are to do. But now look at how this command is supposed to be fulfilled. This isn't just something that a person is supposed to hear once or know and then forget. Now look at what it says to do with these commands. Verse 6. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframe of your houses and on your gates. Very quickly you see, these habits, I mean, sorry, these commands are supposed to be part of our lives. They are to be habits that we have in our lives. There's to be something that that has become a habit in everything that we do. We do these over and over. And by doing them over and over, they will influence how we live. So while Scripture doesn't mention habits outright, I believe there are many themes and topics that come up in Scripture over and over because we are to treat them as something that is not just knowledge, not just head knowledge, but as something that we live out, a habit, a lifestyle that we develop. So let's look at Covey's number seven, and let's look at seven healthy habits that every Christian should have. Number one, habit number one, read and obey Scripture. Now, I can guess some of you are like, wow, you studied all week, Ike, to give us that. Like, we knew this, you know, Uh, we've been doing this. Um, Sorry, but this, I believe, needs to be at the top. This is, to me, as important as Colby saying you need to be proactive, because if you are proactive instead of reactive, it changes everything you do. You take a business person, if you're proactive, then you're seeing the problem come and you're actually working with the problem long before it comes so that you don't have to react to the problem. You've already solved the problem before the problem happened. The same is true with reading Scripture and obeying Scripture. If we line our lives up with Jesus, that doesn't mean, I mean, with Scripture, it doesn't mean that everything is going to go perfect in our lives, but Scripture reading and obeying and applying Scripture to our lives needs to be a habit. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 
verses 14 and, and uh, 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able <clears throat> to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds Timothy here that you've known these words, you've known these scriptures from when you were young. So apply them. Continue to apply them. And don't forget how you learned them. Someone passed this down to you. This is important. And so make sure that you continue to apply it because it will make you wise. We cannot be effective in our walk with Jesus if we refuse to spend time with Jesus and his word. Over the past number of years, and I'm saying this kind of to brag, but just to let you know, I made it a, deci a decision <clears throat> that I would read my Bible every single day, no matter if I was on vacation or what. And so I have found that there's been a few mornings, and I do mine in the morning, that there's been a few mornings where something maybe came up and I wasn't able to do it sort of in my routine. My routine is, you know, anyway, I don't have time. Um, you know, and I, it's part of my morning routine every single morning. And I found that midway through my day, if I didn't incorporate that into my morning routine, literally I feel like something's missing in my life. And I think the best way for us to think of this, for those of you that must eat breakfast and you don't eat breakfast, but midway through the day, you're going, why am I shaky? Why am I angry? Why am I whatever? And it's because you miss something that you need. And the same is true with Scripture reading. We must read our Bible regularly, daily. This is not the same as an inductive Bible study. This is simply greeting Jesus in a sense. Hearing from Him, listening to Him, engaging with Him, and allowing the word of Jesus, the words of Christ, the word of God to minister to us. So number one, read and obey scripture every single day. Number two, active prayer life. And again, I know you're thinking, well, this is again something we knew already, but are you doing it? Do you have an active prayer life? Is it a habit? It is something that you do every single day. We communicate with God through prayer. We speak to him and we listen to him through prayer. It is in prayer that God shapes and changes and molds our lives. It is through prayer that we gain a deeper understanding of God, His character, and our personal relationship with God. Scripture reading teaches us and shapes us, but prayer is personal. Prayer is a personal connection with our Savior. Jesus included prayer in every aspect of his ministry. Often we see Jesus stop to pray in the middle of a chaotic scene. He'll say to his disciples, I got to go away for a bit. I got to spend time with the Father. Why would we think that we do not need to do the same? Acts chapter 16, chapter thir uh, verse 13 and on, he says, On the Sabbath we went outside the city, outside the city gates to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of them listening was a woman from the city of Therathurum named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to Paul, respond to Paul's message. 
When she and her, her, the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. I want you to notice something in this passage. Is that Lydia came to know Jesus at a prayer meeting. She came to know Jesus in a personal way at a prayer meeting. You, would say, you could say that she gave her life to Jesus at a prayer meeting. And she becomes this influential leader of the early church. There is a work that God wants to do us in us at, at our times of prayer. And sometimes we, we come to church and sometimes we go to events and, and these are all good things, but sometimes the work that God wants to do in us is when we are quiet with Him in communion with Him through prayer. I want to encourage you, if you are not in the habit of praying regularly, develop that. Habit number three. This is an important one and maybe this could be one of the first ones that you do. Set spiritual goals. There's a saying in business, if you don't plan for success, you are planning to fail. And whether it is business or school, family or sports, everyone needs a goal to strive for. It is no different in our spiritual lives. When you give your life to Jesus, you should not be under the assumption that somehow you're just going to have this incredible journey and God's going to reveal himself in amazing ways and, and you're just going to end up where you see some of the heroes of faith. We need to have goals that we aim for. Things that we are focused on. Effective Christianity requires that we set personal spiritual goals and achieve actively work towards achieving them. Making necessary sacrifices that will eventually help us to get there. Think of a gold medalist. No gold medalist has ever stood on the podium without having had made goals long ago. I want you to look at the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. There's Paul's goal. I want to know Christ. Now look at what he says next, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this goal. Some of you are going to set a goal, and you're not going to get there right away. Paul says here, or have already arrived at my goal. What do I do? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul set a goal. And he was determined to achieve that goal or to reach that goal. And he dedicated his whole life to this simple thing. I want to know Christ. So set realistic goals. Strategize on how you will achieve it. You may even want to set a time frame. If we have no spiritual goals, church, we are in danger of becoming complacent we are in danger of becoming lazy and undisciplined in our spiritual walk. The Christian life is not meant to feel like time is slowly passing us by. To be a Christian is not about just getting through today so we can do tomorrow. There are too many people who need to hear about Jesus. 
We have an enemy who isn't resting. And so in order for us to accomplish and to be an effective Jesus follower, we need to set goals in our lives. The Christian life is to be vibrant, exciting, and challenging. It is a journey, and it is an exciting journey. And so set spiritual goals that you can strive towards. Number four, invest in others. I've had people in my life over the years who have invested in me, and I don't know where I would be if it was not for these individuals. Many years ago, or a number of years ago, I should say, uh, a dear friend of mine and mentor flew in from British Columbia. And one of the reasons he came down was to sit down with me and walk with me through a difficult season in my life. It's people like that that have invested in me, that have helped me to shape my life to become who I am. Barnabas was one of those people in the Bible who so clearly demonstrated this habit, starting with Paul as a new convert and later on working with Mark the missionary. You've heard these words from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. We need one another. We need to invest in each other. To be in the habit of investing in your children, in your spouse, in your friends, your classmates, your co-workers, definitely fellow believers. We need to be investing in one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. For Him, from Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Notice what Paul is saying here. That when you invest in someone else, you are investing in yourself. That when we invest in one another, when we invest in other people, we are ultimately investing in ourselves because the body builds itself up. So church, we need to be in the habit of investing in people. Maybe it's a kid in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a person that you walked by at school. Maybe it's someone at your workplace that you just need to take a couple of extra minutes with every day to engage with them and to connect with them and invest in them. Number five, this is a biggie. Take responsibility for your soul. We need to be in the habit of putting what is good for our soul first. Philippians chapter 2, 12 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Taking responsibility for our souls. Recognizing that there are things we must do and there are things we should not do. You've heard this saying, the buck stops with me. And likely the person who said it to you was your boss or someone in charge. And maybe you're in a situation and they're like, well, the buck stops with me. And, and you're like, oh, good. I don't have to be responsible then for whatever the buck stops with you is about. But I want you to think for a moment with your soul, with your spiritual life. Have the attitude that when it comes to my spiritual growth and when it comes to my relationship with God, the buck stops with me. I have to take responsibility 
for what is happening in my relationship with God. Each one of us is responsible for our souls. Not the pastor. Not your parents. Not your friends. Not Facebook. And not some strange blogger that you've never met. You are. You are. You are the one who needs to take inventory and understand what is happening in your life. What is your relationship with Jesus like? In Acts chapter 17, we read about these Bereans. Verse 11, he says, Now the Berean Jews were more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. What does this mean? The Greeks were noble, meaning they were willing to be challenged. They were willing to learn. They were willing to listen to what Paul and Silas said. They didn't immediately say, well, my tradition dictates this. But at the same time, they did not naively just listen to Paul and Silas and accept everything. They were willing to learn and engage, but they were also connecting with Scripture, with the Old Testament themselves, to make sure that what was being taught lined up. Are you in the habit of taking responsibility for your soul? Or are you expecting that someone else will do that for you? Number six, serve. This is a simple one. Matthew 28, Jesus is speaking. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus is speaking. It says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul says this about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who, speaking about Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And we love the fact that Jesus served us, but we need to now model, or we need to now live out this model of servanthood that Jesus showed us. Serving should not be seen as an inconvenience that we must bear in order to avoid feeling guilty. It needs to be a way of life for us. It's a simple phrase. See a need, meet a need. You see a need, you meet that need. And definitely we can't meet all the needs. But when we see a need, maybe God opened our eyes to that need because you can meet that need. So be in the habit of serving. And then finally, wrapping up with number seven. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, 33. Jesus is speaking, Sermon on the Mount. And he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Now, if you look at that passage, you know that he's speaking here specifically about worry. But I think it applies to all areas of our lives. A few verses earlier, Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, But do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 
So let's ask ourselves a few important questions in regards to this. Are we in the habit of storing up that which is good for eternity? Or only for that which is good for now? Are we developing habits that are focused on the temporary rather than the eternal? We must be in the habit of keeping the kingdom of God first. Yes, you will have struggles and worries, pains and difficulties while you are here on earth. And no, we cannot pretend that these are not there. However, we must recognize that what is eternal is what we must be most focused on. Focus on what is eternal. So, there you've had all seven. You've seen them. you heard them. We unpacked them briefly. And I want to encourage you, church, to look at these seven habits and to apply them to your lives and to make these habits that you have as part of your everyday life. So go from here. Don't feel overwhelmed. Don't feel burdened. Don't feel frustrated. But go from here, if nothing else, recognizing there is much to do. And you are going to have so many incredible benefits of applying these into your life. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we come recognizing that it, this, can, this list can easily feel like just a lot of things to do. But Lord, I pray that they're not just things that we do, but that there are spiritual practices that we incorporate into our lives. Jesus, I pray that if any of us here have allowed ourselves to become lazy Christians, that we would recognize today that possibly so much of the joy that we used to have with you isn't because of you, but it's because we have separated ourselves from you. That we haven't connected with you in the way that we can, in the way that we should. I also pray that we would recognize that you've given us these talents, these gifts, these abilities, and that we're to do something with them. So Lord, I pray that this sermon would be received today maybe as a rebuke. But I also pray that it would be given and received with love and understood as an opportunity for us to engage in. To go from here and to live for you with everything that we have. Thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.